to the In His Voice podcast hosted by me, Rob L. Lowe, where we talk about those things in life that deeply impact the lives of boys and men uh, without ever bashing women. We talk about everything from the bedroom to the boardroom, from the playground to the stadium, and everything in between. And as you know, we try to bring you content that is meaningful, enriching, as well as enlightening. Remember, before we go forward, remember to like, subscribe, and share the content. Hit that bell button so you can stay abreast of what's going on, and then you can follow us uh, and share with your friends. Listen, today's topic, uh, I've been waiting to have this conversation. If you follow me the last couple of weeks, you know we're well into season two, and this year I wanted to bring something different. In season one, I had a conversation with a good friend of mine, Dr. Ken Coopwood, who is a diversity, uh, equity, inclusion practitioner. Today I brought another friend of mine on the show who is... Uh, an expert in that area, in the, in, but from the perspective of corporate diversity, equity, inclusion. Um, today we're going to talk about not traditional diversity, equity, inclusion. I think people know what that is. We're going to talk about the landscape of what's happening uh, as relates to changes in legislation, how it's impacting weight companies, how it impacts hiring decisions. And then what are the things that people don't often think about when we bring in someone, uh, particularly someone of color, to help lead that effort. There's a lot of work that comes with that. There's a lot of things that have to be considered, things that don't get talked about. We're talking about the backdoor conversations, the hallway conversations, the conversations about a water fountain, about what it means to be in this role. I'm excited so, to have on the show a good friend of mine by the name of Brett Griffin, who owns his own consulting company called Griffin & Griffin Consulting. Welcome to the show, Brett. Rob, thank you very much. I, I can remember when we were just kind of um, tossing the idea around, let's say, when you approached me and you said, hey, I'm starting this venture. I eventually want to get you on the show. I've had a chance to watch season two. I know several people that are on the podcast. So I just first of all want to say thank you for giving me the opportunity to be on here with you. Hey, man, listen, um, we're, 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 we're brothers on this journey uh, uh, about um, – diversity, equity, and inclusion, and I don't mean from the standpoint of just putting programs together, because I think people get that misconception. You know, when when I started out um, last year and branched out to go do my, my own thing, um, I remember one of the thoughts that I had was, you know, had I done everything that I could mm -hmm. in corporate America before I walked away and wanted to go do my own? And I told myself, I said, I'm sure there's always things I could do. There are things I could have done different, do more. Of, but I really, really tried. But there was a point, uh, Brett, where I, I was so I was so heavy-hearted because it's such a hard lift. Mm -hmm. It's such a hard lift. And, and that's not a knock on the companies that I work for. But, you know, when you step into these roles, mm -hmm. man, the responsibility of trying to carry the weight of, okay, I have to not only educate, I have to sell. Mm -hmm. I have to be patient and realize that not everybody wants it, cares for it. And then for me, I don't know about you, and we talk about your experience because you, you've been a DEI practitioner. You've been an HR executive. You know, you, you've sat in the top seat uh, as a diversity thought leader for a company and building these programs. But I think one of the things that doesn't get talked about for us in these roles is, um, especially as, as a man, and as a, a black man, mm -hmm. there's this thing for me I had to manage, like, okay, don't get angry. 
right? Um, understand that there will be some resistance. Try not to take it personal. Mm-hmm. Um, you're going to have to convince some people, and even those who say they are for it aren't for it. And then here's the big one. There's people who, who, who I have brought in or I helped to bring in who look like me who still didn't understand Rome wasn't built overnight, True. True. right? And, and so how do we bring everyone along on this journey mm-hmm. when, when there's no one for us to go talk to? Excellent point. When we're when we're feeling this, man, they have no idea. I'm trying to change this culture. I'm trying to influence this leader. I'm trying to help that group of people. Mm-hmm. But no one knows that when I go in my office and I close my door, like I'm frustrated at everybody. Sure. And I have nowhere to go. So you got to tell me, man, how'd you get into this work? Sure. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did you know, man? You know what? I I, I this is what I want to do. And uh, we'll eventually talk about the consulting, but I just want to hear about your journey, man, and what's it been like? What's it for? Sure. Great starting point. Yeah. You you, you tossed out so many great topics. Yeah, man. So let's start at how I got into this. And how yeah. I got into this was not intentional. Um, I was working for a large healthcare system here locally. Okay. Uh, we were expanding. I can still remember our CEO saying that we would be the premier healthcare system in the state of Indiana. Um, and the map showed all these hospitals. Shortly after that, a few weeks later, I was called into the office with my manager to say, hey, we want to recruit a diversity director. I can still remember looking at the job description saying, what is that? I'd had this background in TA, but I didn't know what that role was. So after I read through it, I began to understand, okay, this is about our culture. We're expanding hospitals. We're we're building new hospitals, which means our patient population is going to change. Our employee population is going to change. We need to be more inclusive, more equitable, and we need a leader to help us in that journey. And I remember going through the interview process, interviewing candidate to candidate, and we finally selected this gentleman who was fantastic. And my office happened to be down the hall from him. And through the process, I began to learn more about this diversity work, but I was questioning okay, what is my role as a supervisor of employment services at this large 36,000 uh, 36, employee organization? What, what, what is my role within this? And I remember going and talking to him and telling him, I'm interested, I'm interested, I'm interested. And he turned to me and he said, this work's not for everybody. And I took offense to that. I'm like, what do you mean it's not for everybody? He said, it's not for everybody. He said, in order for you to do this work, one of the first things you need to do is understand where you are in your own diversity journey. Mm. And I said, well, what does that mean? He said exactly what I said. And what he was sharing with me was, you need to understand how you fit in, but how do you feel about these different dimensions? And he showed me this wheel. Now, at this point, I'm early in my diversity journey. And I believe there's two DI journeys, Rob. I'll get to that in a second. There's your own personal one. Then there's one of the organizations. The problem comes together is when you try to align them. So as he was talking, he showed me this wheel. And I was like, okay, this is more than just race, gender, and sexual orientation. He said, oh, yeah, it's much more than that. Absolutely. And what I learned through him was how to be effective. And I was the guy, if you remember the old DJs, when they would come into parties and they would have somebody carrying their crates with them, that was me. (laughs) I carried the handouts. I got the presentation set up. I just wanted to be in the room to learn about these things. So as I begin to learn, I quickly understood, okay, I need to go out and start recruiting individuals who are diverse, who can help us with our patients. So I got the business um, connection immediately. 
We're going to be in different state. We're going to be in different cities. We need to have a more diverse population. Our patients need to feel welcome and included. We have to prepare our leaders, nurses, doctors, so on and so forth, so that they can treat these patients with this diverse lens. Now, at this point, we're talking 2000 was the year. It was just diversity. There was no equity. There was no inclusion, no belonging. It was just diversity. Mm. As I started to learn more about it, I began to pick this up pretty quickly. And I began to volunteer. We launched our first employee resource group. I didn't know what those were. Mm -hmm. Researched it. He told me about them. I said, yep, sign me up. I was on the ERG. And I really began to think about, okay, what role can I play to help advance this? Because what happens is, once you get in this DEI work, people start to come to you to tell you about the inequities that are happening to them. But they're also sharing with you things that we can do to be more inclusive. So mm -hmm. I start to think about what can I do in the role that I have with this large healthcare system to make this environment more inclusive. So that means we're going to, A, look at expanding our net so that we can go out and recruit more diverse people. Those who are on my team, I think I was managing 10 or 11 people at that time, have some conversations about diversity because guess what? The candidates coming in will be more diverse. I can still remember that we went out and found an organization that taught us how to speak Spanish because guess what? We wanted to tap in to the Spanish population, Mexican population, Spanish-speaking population that was increasing here in Indianapolis. Mm. But we didn't know how to communicate with them. We'd go to job fairs and none of us spoke Spanish. Man, we're missing out on all these great candidates. So we had to learn these skills. Mm -hmm. As I, I so I, I was able to um, figure out that I needed to increase my level of cultural competence. So I went to as many trainings as I could. I started to look at organizations here locally that I can get involved in. Anything I could do to increase my cultural competence. Just talking to people who didn't look like me. Because I wanted to understand their journey. But more importantly, I wanted to understand what could we do to make this environment more inclusive? And you learn that by talking to other people who have a diverse perspective that's different from yours. Because when I saw it, I thought, okay, hey, we're doing pretty good. People said, no, some things we can do here differently. And I really started to understand how to strategize, plan, and develop this work. As I continued on, I moved on to another organization. I can still remember, uh, which is one of the greatest leaders I've ever worked for, she really challenged me. She said, we're going to start our diversity journey, but I'd like you to lead it, not because you're black, because your level of cultural competence and understanding is greater than all of ours. Wow. And I had to really sit back, because at this point I'm a director of human resources. I'm sailing along. She said, well, you're the one who continues to bring up these ideas. So as I continue to learn more about it, it switched. My career started to elevate as well. So yeah. I started to take on diversity work. People would say, hey, man, your title didn't change. I said, yeah, but my desk just got bigger. Yeah. So I just I had to start to take on this DEI work. And at this point, inclusion was now. Now it's moved right from diversity to diversity and inclusion. Yep. There was yep. no equity. There was no JA. Right. And I just continued to learn and learn and learn. And as I was learning, I said to myself, I'm really if I'm really going to be a DEI practitioner, I probably need to just dedicate myself to this work, which means I have to separate myself from HR and just go 100% into a DEI role. And that's what I did. And once I became a program manager, I really was at a great organization, learned quite a bit from our leaders, and really saw how an award-winning organization does DEI, or diversity, mm. D&I at that point, at a high level. Because now I saw 
inclusion. I saw the programs. I saw how it's done. I understood the commitment. It was like going from a college team to a pro team. Okay, this is wow. how the big boys do it. This is how organizations that are award winners do it. Because this organization I went to had a history of DEI. So it wasn't new to them. I had worked with other, other organizations that were coming up brand new in their journey. So learned so much there and just continued to take this work on. And one of the things that I'm really probably the most proud of is I was able to leverage this knowledge of human resources mm -hmm. and diversity in all the work I started to do from that point forward. No matter if I had the title or not. Because I saw the value of it. Mm -hmm. I understood how it could make us better as an organization. How it could help us with no matter what it was from include from engagement, from turnover, mm -hmm. attracting more customers. I began to see the alignment to whatever we were doing. And I really begin to understand, uh, okay, here's my role, either influencing others, helping my teams really grasp it so that we're able to go out and do the things would help us make us a better company. And then it just became a little bit more natural to me. And as I started to continue on, no matter if I was in an HR or had DEI or not, I said this is the foundation. Of a part of the foundation work that we do in HR will always have this component. Doesn't have to call it out. But we're going to be inclusive. We're going to make sure that we are treating people equitable. Mm -hmm. We're going to make sure that we, if we're interviewing people, we're going to cast a wide net and have a diverse pool of folks. Mm -hmm. And we're going to use language that's more inclusive. Now I'm going to hit you with the hard questions. Go right ahead. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So I, so I, so, so you gave me the background. I gave you the background. Now let's talk about what was the frustrating parts about oh, this wow. journey. What's the things that that we don't talk about? Sure, sure. And you don't have to give companies or names, yeah. but I know I've done this journey. That's true. Were, 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 were there points where you say, man, I don't want to do this no more? Oh, there's no question. There's no question. So let me start with, as I mentioned earlier, there's two journeys. Yeah. There is one, your own personal DI journey. Okay. Which is what your beliefs are, yep. where I think we should go, things we should be doing, yep. so on and so forth. That's personal. Yep. Then there's the organization also is on a journey where they're saying, here's the things we want to do from an organization point of view. And the most difficult thing to do, and I counsel people and, and, and provide consulting for them today is the difficult the most difficult thing to do is sometimes align your own personal thoughts and belief in this DI journey with the organization because sometimes the organization is wants to go a lot slower more intentional yeah they've got board members yeah. shareholders yeah. they need to be a little bit more cautious where you as a person saying hey we should be going faster we should be yeah. doing this this and this the difficult part begins when you have to adjust and begin to think okay I work for this organization. Woo. Say it. There we go. They want these things that let's think I believe in or want to do, but because I work here, I need to conform and align to that. What becomes more difficult is because when you see the CEO or you see your leader saying, we're doing this work, and yet you come back to the office and you start to work with people, and people are not interested. That's the difficult part. I went to um, a DEI conference a year or so ago, and I heard Dr. Shirley Davis speak. Okay. And she had a whole session called DEI Fatigue. And the room was full with DEI leaders across the globe, and they were sharing their thoughts and ideas. Mm -hmm. um, and people were amening and raising their hands. And the thing that, that hit me immediately was I wasn't alone. We're not alone in this. The work itself is one that is difficult because it's personal. 
if individuals don't believe in certain types of things, then it's going to be difficult for them to make a change. The difficult part for the practitioner is oftentimes you're charged with trying to make a difference, and sometimes people are just not willing to help because they see the difficulty in it. You, you know, if you don't mind me saying Go this, right uh, this is probably some controversy that I'll throw in there. Mm -hmm. There were times when I led initiatives that on a personal level wasn't something I liked. Sure. But I understood my role wasn't to be there That's to correct. do what, what I believe That's in. Correct. That's correct. Right? It's to do what the organization believes and what the organization needs and wants. That's correct. Right? My role was to say, okay, if that adds value and it does not create a conflict of interest in the organization or legally, sure. it's my job to do it. Whether I whether it's something that outside of work is my cup or tea or not, that's correct. And that can be anything. Like there's certain organizations that I supported in jobs that when I leave work, that ain't where I hung out at. True. That ain't the group that I spent most of my mm -hmm. time with. But when I stepped in that role and in that office, everybody mm -hmm. had equal access, equal privileges, equal support. Not one group got it over the other, even if it was my personal preference outside of work. And I say that because I know I have met people who struggle with that in this role. Well, I don't believe in this. I, well, hold on. That, it, 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 this ain't about what you believe personally about what's right or wrong. You have that belief. But if you can't do this job because your beliefs, mm -hmm. then, then you can't be in this role because that's some stuff you got to check at the door. And, and, and that's where the personal journey and the corporate journey yeah. intersect. And to your point, um, one of the things that I had to realize early in my DI journey was, okay, there are going to be things that I believe in that the organization doesn't. Right. There are going to be things that I think should be done, but the organization doesn't. So what do I do? So what I tried to do is two things. Yeah. Collaborate and educate. Yeah. Because at the spirit of this work is people's perspective, diverse perspective. Yeah. So maybe not in the big room, but maybe in the small room, I would say, I understand what you said earlier, but let me give you my perspective. Or here's some thoughts and ideas I have. Or I've had a chance to talk with several different people from this particular demographic, yep. and here's how that resonated with them. Because what happens in this space is sometimes those perspectives are not seen, but those perspectives need to be heard. And oftentimes as a practitioner, we are the voice. So I never stop talking about yeah. them. Even though I didn't believe in them, I knew that was part of my role, but I still needed to give a perspective. Yeah. Oftentimes those perspectives are seen or are just not given because people say, well, you know, I'm just going to say anything. And then what happens is the company continues on. I, you know, here, when, I, when I make that comment, I know people will see this and be like, he's either talking about race or sexual orientation. That's, not, that's, that's, that's the that's first that's thing I guarantee. First thing. Yeah. But I had an experience where I had to uh, work with a group of veterans compared to a group of young millennials who came out of college, yeah. right? And the veterans, their philosophy, many of them were like, you shouldn't have to go to college, go to the military, right? And the, and, and others, like, because I went to college, mm -hmm. right? Other people, my friend, you know, there was this mixed thing because I was like, no, everybody needs to go to college right after school. And there was this group that said, no, everybody needs to go to the military because college ain't for everyone. You should be a soldier. And when I heard these two opposing sides, I said, look, it's not for me to choose, but they, they both have an equal yeah. point of view mm -hmm. right it's easy to go look at the race and gender 
Very and be like, well, I don't fund it. But, but when you start thinking, like, there are so many groups that have their own demographics yeah. and they have their own fundamental beliefs. Whether yours align with those or not doesn't mean that they don't deserve represent, representation like you said. True. And as a practitioner, it's important that you bring light to that, yeah. exposure to that, because it's so easy to get caught in just race, gender, sexual orientation. Right. A, I can recall um, talking to someone here recently, and they wanted some help in this DI space just to get started. Didn't know where to start. Yeah. Just wanted somebody to talk to. Yeah. I'm having this discussion with them, and immediately it was not even about race and gender. It was about we want to hire people, but we believe that not everybody deserve that not everybody needs to have a degree. Right. We would want to be we they wanted to be open to everyone, but the internal struggle was, hey, these people need to have a degree. Yep. Other people were saying, but I've got ten, fifteen years, but I don't have a degree. Yep. So they needed some help in how do they create this culture that yep. is more inclusive and more belonging. And so I spoke with them about if you can create an environment where people are seen, heard, understood, and respected and valued, you have a greater opportunity to create an environment where people feel like they belong. Because if you start to label people, educated folks over here, non-educated folks over here, people will always feel like they don't belong. Yeah. In the corporate world, it's important that you understand what are you trying to accomplish. You know, my last role as VP of DIB, I met with our five executives when I first got there. Because I really wanted to understand what are we trying to accomplish. It wasn't about me. Yeah. It's about where do we want to go. Yeah. Where does the board wants to go? Shareholders, so on and so forth. Yep. I wanted to make sure we had alignment, and then be able to talk about things I thought. When I first got there, it was just D, E, and I. Yeah. As I met with people talked to folks. I came back after about 100 days or so and did an assessment and I asked, can we add B, belonging? Why would you want to do that? And I explained to my leader. Mm -hmm. Then she said, wow, the way you explain that, I think only you can explain to our CEO. Yep. So I went and met with our CEO and when we talked about it, he didn't understand it at first and then I talked about it in the language he was speaking to me. He said, I want to create this in culture where it's like a family. I said, where people belong, right? Yeah, well, this is belonging, and let me describe this to you. And he said, that's exactly what I'm talking about. I want people to be seen, to be heard, to be understood, to be respected and valued. I said, well, that's belonging. And then we added the B to my title, and we start to really focus on those sorts of things. So it's important that no matter how you feel as an individual, that you still align with where the organization is going. Because remember, you are being hired to do that work. Yeah. But you still have opportunities to add your perspective. Yeah. So I added the B, the belonging, as my res as part of my perspective, which is part of our work. He could have said, no, nah, I don't really think we're ready to do that right now. Mm -hmm. So I share that with you, even as a practitioner, it's important that you still give your perspective. Once again, it doesn't have to be in the big room. Yeah. It's in a small room, just him and I talking. Yeah. And he heard my perspective, and we were able to have some great dialogue around it. And then I tied it to, here's how this will make us better. Increase in uh, increasing our ability to attract talent. Yeah. Decreasing our turnover, increasing overall value for employees so they feel better about working here. All those things add up to what us being able to treat our customers better, better output, which means higher what shares, so on and so forth, stock prices. So he immediately saw the value of this because all this work is about people. And if you don't have people who really feel like they want to 
do the work, oftentimes people feel like they don't belong, which then leads to them not wanting to do the work. All right, so tell me about the moments. Because this happened to me quite a few times in my career. I, I, I try to help everyone. Mm-hmm create opportunities for people to be successful and um, and 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 bring in diverse talent yeah. and the diverse talent didn't understand that Rome wasn't built overnight oh yes right so that they, they came in with an expectation and not knowing that listen being here does not mean being accepted yet true don't like it but you gonna have to you gonna have to figure out how to to find your journey and your way because I'm still working on helping to get the organization mm-hmm. to get to the place of inclusion and belonging, mm-hmm. right? And sometimes it didn't work out, and and the person wasn't successful, or or there's times where you know people will come to me for mentoring. And and their perspective was so warped, and I'd be like, man, like no, like, yeah, I get all that stuff you're talking about might be true, but you understand, like, no, you can't respond like that. How 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 did you how did you handle those moments? Because I know you had them in your career. You know what I'm talking. Be like, so you you mad at me because I'm telling you that this is how you're gonna have to figure out how to navigate and be successful, like, yeah. So I think the first thing is to level set on expectations okay. because you're absolutely right. People automatically think that there's going to be change. This diversity work is a journey. When yeah. I'm in a journey, a journey could be two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, ten years. E- easily. Easily. Yeah. Some companies move a lot slower, yep. some move faster, but regardless, it's not going to be overnight. When I talk to candidates, when I do diversity recruiting, when I do mentoring and things like that, I try to level set with them on what is their expectation compared to what I believe is a more realistic expectation. And I have a really straight conversation with them, much like you just said, and I'll say to them, so you're expecting to walk in this organization, and this organization will be 100% ready right. with all the things in which you want to have happen, yep. no matter from what dimension of DEIB you come from. Yep. And I share with them, that's not what we are. Nope. But what we are doing is we're working toward that. And we need individuals like yourself to help us on our journey. Yep. But in order to do that, your thinking, your ideas, your approach will probably be need, will need to be a little bit different. And that's when I started to give them a little bit more information. Yeah. I can still remember um, <laughs> a company I worked for that I was the only vice president of color. The only one. I know that feeling. And <laughs> I had to realize that I couldn't come into that organization waving the flag of change immediately. I needed to understand the company. But more impor- more importantly, I had to let them know, here's why this is important to sell to make us better. But I couldn't come in with an approach that was going to be offensive to people. I couldn't come in with an approach that was not going to make people feel comfortable. So... As I counsel and talk to people who are coming into the workforce, I talk with them about adjusting, understanding the workforce, understanding, yes, as a person of color or a person from a different sexual orientation, it's going to be a little bit of a challenge for you. But look at this as the opportunity. So when I was the only person of color as a vice president, to me I said, okay, here's my opportunity. 
because I most likely will be working with people who's never worked with anybody who looks like me. Mm. So I'm going to give them a perspective that's different because the thing that I try to do at DEI when I first start educating people on it is talk about what it is and what it's not. Oh, Derek, that's because a some people come to this conversation with their own definitions, yeah. own ideas about what this work is. So I talk about when I meet people when I was the only one in this role to help give them a perspective that would help them become more cultural competent but also help increase their culture of humility. And the way I do that is I'm not coming in to try to change your heart and your mind. I'm coming in to try to change behaviors but also give you a different perspective because oftentimes people have these perspectives because they haven't had exposure to anything else. Mm. Unless you have exposure. I had a conversation on Friday with someone, a high-ranking executive of this company, and she was talking to me about some DEI work, and she was Jewish. We had a great conversation about what's happening now, Hamas and so on. And I was sharing with her as she talked for about 17 minutes straight about her experience. I said, have you shared what you just said to me with others in your company? Well, no, I really don't talk. I said, you should, because your perspective of how you feel how you've been treated, your people, and so on needs to be heard. Because on the surface, people don't know the pain in which you just displayed. Mm. People don't know how it impacts you as a CEO of this company that you bring in every day. I said, every day you bring in this backpack of pain with you, and you're looking, where do I put this down? How do I manage this? In order for you to, a part of your role as a CEO is to talk about that pain. Talk about, here's why this diversity work is important. This organization is considering launching a DEI initiative, but they're not sure yet. Mm -hmm. So she's talking to leaders like myself to make a decision if she wants to, but she spoke about her own experience. Mm -hmm. And I share with her, you should talk about that. Because once you talk about how you as a Jewish woman are impacted about what's going on today, people will have a different perspective. Ooh. Which means they'll say, Ooh. oh, wow, I didn't realize that. Maybe we should do these things. Maybe we should do this because immediately their cultural competence will increase and their humility will increase. And this will help them become more inclusive because if you don't share these, uh, if you don't share your perspectives, then you left up to reading people, reading things on social media and so on, what you hear in the news. Which is why listening session was so important a few years ago because people were able to talk about, here's what I'm experiencing. Well, let, let me let me ask you this question, dude. 20 states or so have either passed or created legislations, actually over 20, mm -hmm. that will limit DEI uh, activities, events, uh, initiatives in any organization that gets government state funding in any capacity, right? Schools, businesses. I think Oklahoma has, has, has put on the books, if it hasn't passed already, that if you're a government contractor, yeah. a contractor, contractor. You, get, you can't even have a contract with us if you have those type of programs because we don't support it. Elon Musk came out and said, DEI must D-I-E. Yeah. And it sounds cute, but Tesla has the ability to say, not only are we going to get rid of it, if you want to be a supplier of Tesla, you got to get rid of yours. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you can't be a supplier. And those, and Tesla might be 80% of somebody's business. Yeah. When you think about the future of DEI, both, let's, let's talk about the work 
and then the roles that are in organizations. Mm. What should companies be doing now mm -hmm. in states where they still have the ability mm -hmm. to have DEI? Wow. That, that is the topic of the day, isn't it? So the first thing that I would say to that, and I've got a couple comments, but let me start here. Is those organizations that truly feel that it makes a difference in organization, within their organization have to continue the work. Civil rights, any sort of movement we've had in our country and the world has always been faced with hurts, always been faced with difficulty, and this is one of them. So after the murder of George Floyd, there was a 114% increase in DI roles. Yep. I happen to be in one of them. They yep. benefited from that. Yep. Now they're saying that the numbers are going down. The numbers have gone down when you look at the data closely of that 114% who jumped on the bandwagon who are now jumping off. But all of your large, major organizations, let's look at the organizations here in Indianapolis, Cummins, Lilly, Roche, they haven't stopped. Right. Because they committed to the journey long before. Long time ago. Yeah. Right. So those organizations that are committed, your McDonald's, your GEs, and so on and so forth, they still have the same level of commitment. For those organizations that never found a foundation for yeah. the work, who never committed to it and yeah. just jumped on the bandwagon, when winds of change come, easily for them to be blown Ooh, away. I never heard that, but you... Easy for them to be blown away. Because yeah. guess what? They have no roots. It's not grounded to anything. Right. They and haven't really... And it's not really part of their DNA yet. Not part of their DNA with. I remember you spoke about that a few months ago. Yeah. It's not part of their DNA. So when that happens, easy to change. So that's one. In terms of what's happening throughout our country and states, just look at the history of our, of our country. There's always been, from voting for people of color, voting rights for women, pick something. Yeah. There's always been this wall that comes up. And then what happens is, over time, the pendulum changes and we're able to go around that and I think that's what will happen. I don't think this will be the end of it. We're far more educated, far more confident about DEI in our country than we've ever been yeah. before. Ever been before. Yeah. There's far more people who are practitioners, leaders in this space, things happening in the government. Yeah. I think it will change again. Someone explained to me the other day uh, about a couple months ago when I was having this dialogue with them. They said, Re remember, we're only in the first quarter of this game. They've scored. Now we got the ball. There's you, still three more quarters to go. It is, uh, it's an election year. And in every election year, propaganda, propaganda comes on both sides of the fence. That's correct. Um I, I, I've listened to some of the propaganda and probably the most the most common one is that DEI promotes uh, a non-merit based approach to hiring mm. right it, it promotes choosing race over talent anybody who does this work say that's the most ignorant statement in the world because no DEI practitioner, no company wants to hire someone who can't do the job. That's correct. Regardless of their race. Correct. Right? That's dumb. But what it does say is if you have two people, mm -hmm. and there's no such thing as equally qualified, but both qualified and who can do the job, then if you have an underrepresented group, then you should choose the person that has the opportunity to, to increase the, the representation in the underrepresented group. But if the person can't do the job at the same level, if not higher than the person before, then don't hire them. Correct. Um, 
when I think about what's happening now and, 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 and the winds have changed, right? So everybody's getting on the bandwagon because it sells, it triggers. There's, there's a part of the country that is, is right now uh, operating out of fear of what the future might be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you have people who are just uneducated understanding that DEI in an organization is about driving business results. This, like even even people who 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 we work with, sometimes bring social justice. Sure. Yeah. Or the expectation that we're driving social justice as opposed to driving business results. And I have to tell people. I said, look, I'm gonna be honest with you. I live in this world as a black man, so I know social injustice exists. True. But my job when I step in this role is to create an environment so that people, when they're here. They don't have to experience corporate injustice, mm-hmm. right? That they have an opportunity to, to recognize and be around a group of people who also know social injustice exists. But in here, you're going to get treated fair, respect, with exactly. dignity included. You're going to have access. You're going to have opportunity. But I also understand when you leave here, your experience might be different than mine. So I'm not naive to that. But I want you to know that I understand, and when you get here, I'm going to do everything that I can to make sure that you have the, the tools and necessaries for you to be successful. And if there's things that I can do and support the broader community, I absolutely will. But my first gate, my first thought when I wake up this morning as, as, a, as a DEI practitioner is, how do I go solve all the police brutality murders in the world? And I think that's the narrative that, they, that gets put out there. It does. And it so... Does. So people who don't understand diversity or DEI work think that people in corporations are sitting around talking about what they did to Brianna and George Floyd and Asian hate and all those things. Like, look, all that stuff is wrong. Don't get me wrong. It's it's wrong. But that ain't what this work is. This work is saying, look, the people who work here experience trauma because of that. That's correct. And so we have to be cognizant of that and create an environment when they get here. That they can be successful because they got to go back to that. Hence the term a few years ago, bring your whole self to work. That's how that was. There you go. In the workplace, I always try to call it workplace diversity because it's different. Yeah, it is. It it is different. Um, Workplace diversity is being able to create these environments where people can come to work and feel seen, heard, valued, respected, and understood. Yes. And valued. Workplace diversity is also how do I have the same opportunities, not not be shunned away because of whatever my particular um, dimension of diversity or where I come, yeah. how I come to the organization is, but to be in a space where I can apply for that role and be given the same opportunities and, and have the same access, but also be included. Because one thing about inclusion is you can invite you to the table, mm. but if your microphone's not turned on... Ooh. Then you're just in the room. You're just in the room. You need to be in the room with the microphone is on so that you can speak. Otherwise, they'll say, oh, we invited Rob to the table. We invited so-and-so to yeah. the room. You're included. Well, no, but my microphone's not on. So when I'm speaking, no one's understanding, which yeah. is hence the people being able to be seen, heard, understood, valued, and respected. Yeah. Now you've got it. So in the workplace, it's important that you are able to do those things because you're right. You're not going to solve the world's problem outside the walls of this organization. Right. But more importantly, 
that's not the role for you. That's typically. not the role. Nor is that the nor is that the charge of the organization. Right. The organization is saying, here are the things that we have structure with. I was having a dialogue with a friend of mine yesterday about this topic, and she was saying to me was, the company she works for, she's not being fulfilled by it. Doing DEI work, and I was sharing with her was, you might want to look at doing this DEI work outside of the organization, which is doing some social justice DEI work. There you go. And there's a difference. It is. So level setting with your leaders, level setting with your employees. At the last company I worked for, I got all sorts of requests. Let's start ERGs. Let's do this. Let's do this. And as I was meeting with our leaders and I was having getting dialogue from them, I settled on our strategy being about people, culture, and community. And then once we level set as a leadership team, we broadcast that to all our employees and then we start talking about it. Because what mm. that did was it allowed employees to say, okay, this is about people, culture, community. It's not about what's happening over here. Mm -hmm. But when I come to this workplace, I can bring with me those things that bother me and talk about it. But be in a place where it's safe to be in a place where I can bring my whole self, but to also be in a place where I'm going to be looked at as a professional in this role and not be shunned. Mm. And that's key for us. A key for us as practitioners is to really say, here's what we're, work we're working on. And to be open to the fact that I believe that everything you just said about social justice exists, but today we're not able to solve that in the workplace. In the workplace. In the workplace. Yeah. Doesn't mean you don't stop doing the work. Doesn't right. mean that you don't Absolutely. recognize it. Because we all bring that with us. And, and those companies that are, are, are deeply rooted, meaning you know it's in their DNA and they establish, they get to the point where they say, listen... We, we, we'll put our resources behind organizations That's outside right. of outside our company, of our company yeah. that will help drive that. Yeah. We'll yeah. get there. But that doesn't start off at that place. And sometimes people don't understand, like, because, because of the hurt that people feel personally, mm -hmm. I want my organization to go do something now. Yeah. I was on a, pod, I was on a panel uh -huh. two years ago, and they introduced all of us, and the last person, um, her organization was DEI. B and J. And everybody was saying, what does that mean with the J suit for justice? Uh -huh. And she was from a law firm. And she talked about uh, working in a law firm, justice is extremely important. Yep. But what we got out of that was, as we all three of us are on the panel, each one of our organizations had a different focus. Yeah. yeah. I didn't have a J on mine. It was Absolutely. DIB. The person next to me, it was just DEI. Yeah. It goes back to, what are you trying to accomplish What's the as nature? an organization? Ooh. Um. You started Griffin & Griffin Consulting. Yeah, yeah. It's a new venture for me. It's something that um, my wife and I are trying, trying in the sense of we both have uh, been blessed with this great opportunity to, uh, throughout our careers to learn a lot about this work, work in the sense of human resources and DEI, and HR and DEI are closer than they've ever been before. You know, the old school of thought was DEI should sit over here. HR over there, you know as an HR executive, yeah. that's really difficult because yeah. guess what? It's about people. Yeah. And who owns all the people process? Yeah. Human resources. Yeah, absolutely. And who owns recruiting? We do. Learning yep. and development. Yep. We do. So now you see them come together. So what we've decided to do is just take a step out on faith and to be able to provide consultations to organizations who are small, medium-sized companies yeah. who don't have anyone who has backgrounds 
or experiences in human resources. I'm a, I work with an organization now that has no HR department. Wow. Not none. But they need someone to help them in human resources and DEI. Yeah. And I applaud them because they could have just said, you know, we don't need this. We'll just keep on going. Yeah. But they still feel that this is important enough when you have someone from the organization comes in with some sort of experience yeah. to help us achieve the things we want to achieve in this non-for-profit space. So, And, and, and you do consulting work just in Indianapolis, Indiana? You, you Would you do it across the country? I am. I am. I'm talking to an organization now out of New York who's okay. interested in someone just coming in and helping them get started in their DEI journey. Kind of want to test it out first yep. before they get involved, want to yep. learn about it first. So we are opening up, opening up ourselves to help organizations throughout the country. Yeah, We're opening up ourselves to be very intentional. So everything I'm doing now has been relationship-based, yep. talking to folks I know, understanding what their needs are, but also being very mindful that we understand from an HR perspective, from a DEI uh, perspective, this work is difficult. And oftentimes, organizations don't have the resources to bring someone in full time. Yeah. And some organizations, I was talking to someone yesterday, Friday, she said, we don't know where to start. Can you wow. help us? Because this is a topic that you see, where should we start? Is it social justice? Is it, do we start with the D? Do we start with the I? And one thing she was saying to me was, inclusion is the most important thing for her. Okay, we'll start there. So helping organizations on this journey, bringing in human resources um, structure, process, and the way we do things, because I'm, I'm talking to companies about your people processes need to be more inclusive. That's human resource. I, I, I know we talked about this a year or two ago, maybe a year ago at my birthday party, mm. about, you know, uh, one day doing consulting work, what does that look like, changing in uh, in 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 the industry, what's happening, and so you know, this is always at least I think for a while been something that you have thought about, just giving your expertise. But I have to ask this question: mm -hmm. Would you would you go back into a corporate role if if uh, if a company said, Brick, could I could I pull you back in and come lead this function for oh, us? No, no question, and, and I still have desire to do that. Okay, and um, this work called me, God. God called me to this. I was okay. not expecting to do consulting work. Here's how it got started. Someone heard about me. There was referred. Someone referred me to somebody. Yep. And I got to talking with them. They said, "Great, we want to have you get started. Send over your proposal." And what's the name of your company again? And I said, "I don't have a name." Like, oh, I thought you did consulting work. I said, "Well, I'm starting. What's the name of your company?" I had. I didn't have one. Wow. So I had to create this LLC. Yeah very quickly to get this work done. I thought I was going to go in, talk to this company, and say, thank you very much, it's been nice, and move on. They said, we want to hire you. What would it take for us to do that? We can't do it full-time, but as a consultant, we want to hire you. And I was not set up to do consulting work. But my desire to still be a DEI leader, an HR leader, still remains, because I think I'll have a larger impact, and I want to leverage this knowledge, skills, and experience that I've been given. Okay. And I think I can do that broader in an environment, which is much larger corporate environment. So I'm still looking for those type of opportunities as well. Okay. Well, man, listen, I got one question I try to ask every, uh, every guest before I wrap up. Um, if you could go back to 18-year-old Brett, mm. what would you tell yourself? 
Wow. 18, so 18-year-old Britt was a good baseball player, basketball player, had a scholarship, two scholarships to play baseball. Seriously? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I was in love, so I fell in love and moved with my the power, man. high school sweetheart to Indianapolis, thought I wanted to be a biologist, wound up in business. So what I would share with myself now is to be more open to things that you don't understand. Yeah. Listen to people who see things in you that you don't see in yourself. So people were saying, hey, you should be this. Have you ever thought about this? Have you ever thought about that? And I'm going to tie the knot for you how I got into HR. And I said, no, nah, I don't really want to do that. I, think, I love science. I love biology. I think I want to do that work. I would tell my 18-year-old self to be more open to listening and asking, well, why do you think I should get into this kind of work? Mm. What is it that you see in me that you continue to ask me and try to help me and coach me without even asking you? What is it you do? I didn't, I didn't ask those questions. So how I got into HR was this way. I interviewed at a retail company for another position. Mm -hmm. um, that leader, Deborah Jones, she's actually here in Indianapolis, interviewed me. Mm -hmm. And she said, have you ever thought about human resources? And I was thinking to myself, human resources, isn't that the principal's office where people go to get in trouble? <laughs> I said, no. She said, I think you'd be good in HR. And I said, how much does it pay? Right. I didn't know. I was young. Yeah. She said, here's how much it pays, but here's what I see in you. Here's where I think you'd be good within this HR world. Yeah. And I didn't know much about it. Because, you know, back then, you only went to HR when something happened. Yeah. As she shared with me more and more, I became interested. And she said, I think you'd be a great HR assistant. And once I became an HR assistant, I learned so much about recruiting, compensation, benefits, the whole talent world. And I was just blown away by what I didn't know. But I was so attracted to what I could know. Okay. In talent acquisition, recruiting people, bringing them in, helping them find jobs, job readiness skills, I just fell in love with it. And as I fell in love with it, I continued to learn more and more because my thirst for this work continued. Okay, well, how do we pay people? Okay, oh, compensation. Oh, wow, there's actual science and a process to this. So who selects the benefits? How do you know how much? The Learned about that. I just continued to learn more and more. So... If I were to go back, I would definitely tell myself, slow down, listen to people, be more open to things that you don't know about, and ask more questions. And I think I probably would have been on a different journey if I had done that long ago. But I'm happy where I'm at now, and God's been, has blessed me to be where I'm at. If for, for companies that see this, um, who, who may want to um, you know, acquire your services, how do they get a hold of you? Sure. LinkedIn is the best way right now. You can just go to my LinkedIn um, profile, Britt Griffin, and you'll find me. I don't have a website yet. I'm thinking about it, consulting with some companies, looking at that. But that's the best way to reach me. You can message me. Um, I'll probably take a screen capture of your LinkedIn page. Sure. Feel free. And I'll drop it underneath uh, this segment. Excellent. So Excellent. that they'll see it. So when they go to alerts, the search for you, they'll know what it looks like. So yeah. I'll probably do that if you don't mind. Yeah, yeah. Feel free to reach out to me. I love to dialogue with people. I learn so much just from sometimes the conversation. As I've told myself, if I, as I just mentioned, I'd be more open to those things younger. Now that I'm older, yeah. I'm far more open to things now, and I'm continuously asking questions, talking to people. Um, when you asked me to do this podcast, I said, I Rob, do. I've never done one before. <laughs> 
You said you can do it. Okay, let's do it. Yeah, man. And here I am. And 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 man, that that the fact you're here, the changes <laughs> last minute. We're gonna be here. We're gonna be there. Uh, man, it just shows the testament of um, one you as a as a person, but two, it, it tells me about your leadership, man. Because because being flexible and doing this work, oh my goodness, man, you have to be. Well, being agile, nimble, flexible, and understanding. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have learned throughout my career is not just label it, find out why. Yeah. Oh, now I get it. You know, I, I recall probably 10, 15 years ago, maybe somewhere in there, I learned a very valuable lesson I'll share with you. I had a person who I was managing. She was our receptionist in HR. Yeah. Consistently late, late, couldn't get to work on time. And I'm, you know, being an HR person, young in my career, following the process, progressive discipline. And as I'm talking to her, giving her this PIP, performance improvement um, plan, she started to cry. And I said to her, I'm sorry that you're crying. And she said, you know what bothered me? Why? You never asked me why I was late. And I said, why are you late? I have three kids. I have to put them on the bus. And have to catch the bus for myself. I was on time. The bus is not on time. That's the only way I have to get to work. Mm. And it re and I realized mm. that okay, understanding someone's journey, where they've been, and what they go through. I drive to work every day. She got to get three kids to school and get herself to work. It helped me understand that everyone doesn't have the same opportunities, Whoa. access. And their journey may be different. And I went back to my office, closed the door, sat there by myself, and cried. Because I saw what I was doing to her. I'm going to take this woman's job away from her. She tried her best to get to work. Mm. And if I take this away from her, how will this impact her and her three kids? It was heavy, man. I mean, Dude, that, that God, feel heavy, man. God just said, you need to slow down, that Mr. HR heavy. man. And really try to understand people and their journey. And then I went back to her two days later because I had to get myself together. Yeah. And I said, what if we adjust your schedule to come in a half hour later? That worked out perfect. If I can get her at 830, Mr. Griffin, they call me Britt. She always used to be very respectful. If I can get her at 830, I wouldn't have this problem. Adjusted her schedule. We had people rotate to come in at 8 o'clock. My team, okay, you work 8 to 8.30 on Mondays. Rob, you on 8 Gail, you on to, And we would rotate it. And she came into work. Now, here's what I did that I thought, you know, would be difficult but was far easier. I met with my team to say, I would like to have each one of you just cover the front desk for a half hour. And here's why. Now, as a leader, you don't oftentimes have these personal relationships. Right. They already have personal relationships with her. Right. So when I talk with them about they, it, they were, they were like, absolutely. I thought they were going to be like, oh, my God, I hate the front desk. They were clapping because they did not want to see her lose her job. They knew her journey. They knew her story. I didn't know it because I hadn't taken the time because, you know, as an HR person, don't get too personal. Don't yeah, do this. Yeah. Don't do this. And she went on to work there 20-something odd years, man. It was a great employee. You, you see, hey, man, listen, I'm going I'm to I'm end on that note, dude. Like, I, I, I can't even. That's just favor. That's wisdom. That's listening to God's voice. You know, and that's taking everything that, that you have experienced in life and going, 
I say this, man. To whom much is given, much is expected. Correct. Everything that was given to me was meant to be given from me. Mm. Mm. Everything that was given to me was meant to be given from me. Let me let me add something to that. Yeah. I believe and I've learned at my age now that knowledge is only valuable when you share it. Woo! If you don't share it... It's not knowledge. Not knowledge. It's not valuable. It, boy. If you hold on to it, it's not valuable. It's, it, so when you ask me to be on this podcast and you talk with me about what you want to get out of it, I say, well, this is right in line. Yeah, man. I will be able to go on there and somebody will pick up a nugget or two and say, okay, I can use this and help me. Versus me saying, you know what, Rob, I'm going to keep all this knowledge to myself. Thanks very much. Click. So I believe that knowledge is only valuable when you share it. Well, Otherwise, it's not valuable. Well, man, listen, I got to thank you for being on the episode. It truly has been enlightening. Uh, I'm going to have you back. Okay. Uh, I'm going to have you back late in the season. I haven't, I haven't told you why, but we're going to have another one. <laughs> okay. Uh, but it's around uh, uh, DEI and recognizing people have different approaches okay. right oh, so yes. that's a great discussion, oh, a great discussion. but yeah. listen thank you for tuning in to this episode of the in his voice podcast with me rob l low i had a great conversation remember uh you can connect with brick griffin on linkedin i'll be sure to drop his link right here uh, for his profile if you guys have a dei consulting need if your company is interested in just learning more regardless of where you are on the journey he's done it and what i would tell you if you're someone and you literally are trying to understand this is something you want to do, you want to get into this, he's a great mentor. Uh, he doesn't know I was going to say that, but he, he really is a great guy for that aspect. And so I'll tell you all, uh, good luck in everything you do, and I'll see you next time on In His Voice.